Sensible chat. Budgeting made easy. Really easy. Welcome to Sensible Chat with your host, Sensible Bobby, the show that is all about budgeting, smart spending, and saving. On this episode, Sensible Bobby is going to talk about budgeting for vacations and weddings. Plus, she'll tell you about her new video series, Budget Bites. Today's Sensible University segment features financial therapist Claire Dubay, who shares tips for avoiding money conflicts and how to talk money with your honey. And if you've ever wondered, what's the secret to saving money? CB will divulge all in the new Saving Secrets segment, where she offers tips you can use today. So let's wait no further. Let's get to the woman who knows all about budgeting, the maven of money, the darling of dollars, the sensei of saving, Sensible Bobby. (laughs) Thanks, Scott. You know, I never know what you're going to come up with from one episode to the next. Neither do I. (laughs) Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Sensible Chat. You know, it's the middle of summer, and it's such a busy time for so many of us. We've got wedding season in full swing. Everybody's on vacation. And what's always amazing to me is, and I'm totally guilty of this too, how much time we spend planning the details of our wedding or vacation, but how little thought we give to the money that actually pays for it. Now, raise your hand if you've ever taken a vacation you couldn't afford. Any hands not go up? But now, raise your hand again if you've ever stressed about the money you were spending while you were on that vacation. And then, when you get home and the bills start coming in, did you have buyer's remorse? (laughs) Been there, done that. Such a bummer. I want to be able to look back on my vacation and enjoy the fond memories, not regret going because now I'm further in debt, which means I have to go to a job I hate to pay it off. So with the money you have in your account right now, can you afford to take the kind of vacation you'd like? Have you thought about what kind of vacation you really would like? Maybe it's a place you dream of visiting, or maybe it's the kind of things you want to do while you're on vacation. Take some time to think about what the perfect vacation looks like for you, and then try putting a price tag on it. If you can't afford it now, is it worth going into debt for? If not, figure out how long it will take to save up for it. Are you willing to wait that long? Or can you take a mini vacation that's within your price range now and take the time necessary to save for the one you really want? And you may want to consider a travel agent when you're planning a vacation. I used to think of a travel agent as an extravagant expense only meant for the rich who could afford to let someone else do all the work. But there's actually more to it than that. A lot of times, travel agents can save you money because they work with airlines, hotels, and popular destinations on a bigger scale, which means they can get deals you would never be able to get. It's worth a shot just to see what they have to offer. Now let's talk about weddings, which are a -a once-in-a-lifetime experience. At least we hope so. (laughs) Now you certainly don't want to have regrets about that day. But when it comes to your wedding, it's easy to get caught up in the emotion and tradition of this major event and forget about the price tag. So what do you do? Start by thinking about what's most important to you. Are you willing to go into debt to pay for it? If you are, then take some time to figure out the price tag, even if it's a ballpark, and determine how long it would take for you to pay it off. Is that time frame acceptable to you? If not, then one of two things have to happen. Either you need to figure out how long it will take to save the money you need to pay for it without taking on the debt, or you need to decide where you're willing to cut expenses. 
For either of these to happen, you'll need to make a list of all the things you'll be paying for and attach a price tag to each one. Now, I know this can seem really overwhelming, but there are a ton of wedding budget spreadsheets online that you can download to help you cover all the bases, including clothing, photography, food, location, invitations, DJ services, you name it. There's a lot. But remember, you don't have to do it all. Take a deep breath and then start prioritizing. First, just go through the whole list and delete all the things you don't want or need. Then go through the list again and prioritize it. Put it in order from most important to least. This will take some time, and the order will probably change many times before you're finally happy with it. But have patience with yourself. This is a big undertaking, but doing it now could save you a lot of heartache down the line. When you're finished prioritizing, it's time to assign a dollar amount to each item. Even if it's a ballpark, it's very important to do this. First of all, the money associated with some of these things might be surprising, and you might decide they're not that important after all. Second, you need to know what each item costs individually, so you can make further cuts if you don't have enough money to pay for everything, or determine how long it will take to save up for it. Ramit Sethi, author of the book, I Will Teach You To Be Rich, says you can spend extravagantly on the things you love as long as you cut costs mercilessly on the things you don't. What a great idea, and it makes so much sense. Why would you spend on things you don't really care about if it means not having enough for what's really important? So take the time to prioritize and give yourself the time to save. In the end, your wedding day will be filled with great memories instead of buyer's remorse. If you're trying to create a budget for your wedding or a vacation, it can be really hard to accomplish without a household budget. Because how do you know how much you have to work with after paying your monthly bills and expenses without one? So if you need some help creating a household budget, get in touch with me and let's work together. You can email me, Bobby, B-O-B-B-I, at sensiblechat.com or go to the contacts page at sensiblechat.com for all the different ways to contact me. And if you're engaged, this is a perfect time to create a budget with your fiancé so you can start off your marriage with a clear picture of where you stand financially and a plan to reach your goals together. But talking money with your honey isn't always the easiest thing to do. So I'm going to let financial therapist Claire Dubay give us the lowdown on how best to do it. Okay, class, sharpen your pencils, pull out a piece of paper, and get ready to take some notes because Sensible University is now in session. Today's guest professor is Claire Dubay, financial therapist and founder of Smart Chats, a financial conversation process for saving money and relationships together. She helps couples and business partners in money conflict go from chaos to clarity and connection. Claire's work and advice have been featured in Forbes, U.S. News and World Report, Acorn, and Yahoo Finance. Claire, thanks for being our guest professor today. Thank you, Bobby. I'm so glad to be here and chatting my favorite subject, which is money. (laughs) Yeah, it's an entertaining one for some of us. (laughs) Now, you are a financial therapist. What exactly does that mean? So financial therapy is where they take the combining of the therapeutic and the financial competencies and looking at financial issues through both lenses. Okay. And this is a pretty new field, right? You know, it's fairly new. It's still in its infancy or the first decade of work, but it's becoming more and more known as people are seeing the need to not just do financial planning, 
but also looking how to broker conversations with significant others, with family members, and how you look at the emotional side of it with that behavioral finance as well. Right. And that goes right into what I wanted to talk about because we are in wedding season right now. And so, you know, there's a lot of couples saying I do, but many of them haven't discussed their finances. And it doesn't seem like a very romantic thing to discuss your finances. You know, when you're in the midst of getting married and planning your wedding and all that, that's kind of the last thing on your mind. But it's actually a very important issue that a lot of people don't think about ahead of time. So tell me why you think this is important and what kind of conversations they need to be having before they tie the knot? Well, I'm going to kind of touch back on what you said about how busy people are and the the stresses and all the work going into planning the wedding. And the wedding is one day. Right. It's one day. The expenses that are paid on it, the planning, the details for one day and the lack of planning for your lifetime moving forward and how you're going to be living day to day as you said, there hasn't been the time made for that and the understanding for that. So there's where the disconnect comes from, that there's so much focus on one special event that retirement isn't thought about or to have children, to not have children, to buy a home, not buy a home, share bank accounts, don't share bank accounts. So that's where I see the need for those discussions beforehand and how important that really is for planning your lifetime together. Absolutely. You know, my husband and I have been married 20 years and we never had those conversations before we got married. Luckily, it ended up that we are on the same page pretty much about everything when it comes to finances, but it could have been completely different. And 50% of marriages end in divorce and they say that money is one of the top reasons for that. So these conversations are pretty important. And especially, you know, if you had them ahead of time, it could save a lot of heartache later on. Right. And the financial discussions aren't necessarily just an actual bank account, how do we invest kind of conversations, but they really have to do with looking at every transaction or transition in life. And what I mean by that is, you know, buying the house, spending, do we want a small house? Do we want city, country? So every decision that's made is tied to money, but there has to be some kind of conversation to be had as opposed to, hey, we've always lived in the city, I just assumed, as opposed to one who says, yeah, as a single person I was, but planning a family, that wasn't in my thinking. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's so common. I know, at least for me, you know, you kind of always have this feeling, well, of course you feel the same. I just kind of assumed that. And a lot of times it's not the case. Do you see that a lot that couples just assume they're on the same page when they're really not? Yes, because when you're in that dating phase, your personality is still the same, but you're doing things a little bit differently. Maybe you're going out to eat a little bit more. And then once you are married and settling down a little bit more, maybe you're staying home a little bit more and such. So your lifestyle changes. And with that becomes that assumption on one part or, you know, we need to look at this a little bit longer because what are our now goals together, our financial goals that we're looking to work towards? So what are the biggest miscommunications that you see most often with couples when it comes to money? Well, the whole bottom line is with the communications, it's they're not seeking clarity. And that really is, you know, you talk about finances being cited as the reason for divorce. 
bottom line, it really has nothing to do with the finances. It really has to do with clarity. You always need to find clarity because you can communicate by, let's say, folding your arms because you're upset. So those are, you know, body language communication, but that doesn't seek clarity to the other person to understand what's upset. So the miscommunications is really not getting clarity in what the other person is saying. Right. Because if you see money as the tool that it is, really the bottom line is how do you want to use those tools? What is it that you're trying to build and what are you trying to build together? And that's kind of where that clarity needs to come from, right? Right. And the understanding that money really is a tool. The difference between this tool and say a hammer or screwdriver or such is that we put symbols with money. So we may think that money is, you know, people with money are greedy, you know, the things you always hear or, you know, the poverty thinking. So we put money, which is just a tool truly, but it's symbolic. Whereas other tools, the hammers and the screwdrivers, they just do the job and you move on. There's no symbolic thing that you tie it to. Isn't that amazing? Yeah. If we yeah. could just see it that way, that kind of takes a lot of the emotion out of it. And that's just it. It's when you're coming to a couple and with the wedding season, it's sharing what those symbols are for you. Let me give you an example for, I'm one of four siblings, same parents, grew up in the same household, same background and such. And yet the four of us handle money differently. So it isn't as if my parents were teaching necessarily lessons. It's what we took from what we saw and what we heard and everything filtered through our own lens. So you would think that same parents, same household, everybody thinks the same, but we don't. Not one of us has the same way that we look at finances. Right. Isn't that amazing? So now how can couples work together to avoid becoming one of the statistics of marriages that fall apart because of not, you know, physically the money, but because they're on different pages? What can they do to work together to make the financial part of their marriage better? Right. So it is opening up those conversations. And generally speaking, one person takes the lead on saying, hey, we need to have this conversation. It's rare that I would get a couple come in and they both happen to be at the same time say, man, we really just need to start talking about finances. Right. And so it's in this case, it's taking some time to just have a couple of convert you know, couple of sentences or questions that you want to answer. Don't try and solve everything all at once, but you know, start with some basic. If you're engaged, you what is your idea of a wedding? What is your idea of the budget for the wedding? What is important to you? Is it having family all around or is it really to make it look like spectacular? You know, so just start with some basic questions a few at a time because you don't want to get overwhelmed and go down a rabbit hole. So start with the immediate things that are coming up. And in that conversation would then follow with the, okay, well, let's not spend a lot of money on this wedding because we want to look at buying a house. So that comes the next. If you base it on things that are transitions and use those as the base, and then you can spiral off all questions off of that. Does that make sense? Yeah. Now let's talk a little bit about financial infidelity. What is financial infidelity and how often does that actually happen in a marriage? Financial infidelity is when you are hiding something tied to money. And it happens more often than not 
but on different scales. So I'm going to use an analogy of a white lie. So maybe you're doing a surprise party for your significant other and you don't tell them the truth of where you're going because obviously you're trying to keep it a surprise. It's a lie, but it's really nothing that it's kind of harmless. You're, you're trying to do something good. Sure. So infidelity for, with financial infidelity, you can have some things where you just went out and you bought a shirt and you take the price tag off and put it in the closet as if you've had it forever. Not that you have to come home and say every purchase that you've made, you know, I bought baked beans and lettuce and a shirt and this. But if you act as if you have to hide that and say that I didn't just get something new, there's something, a red flag right there. And it could also go as big as having private bank accounts or student loan debt that was not shared before getting married. Those are some significant trusts that have been broken by not sharing those. And really what financial infidelity boils down to, it's not really the money, it's the trust issue. Right. And so once that's happened in a marriage, how do you go about kind of bridging that gap so that you can go on if the people say, okay, you know, we've had these mistrust now, but we want to try to work it out and stay together. How do you kind of bring that back to center? So first you have to find out, you know, what was the reasoning that it wasn't brought up? Was it that you were always told not to talk about money and yours is yours and hers is hers or his is his, and that's your mindset? So you may not think that you really did anything that was mistrusting because that was your belief system. So it's really learning why it occurred. What was the reason for it? If it was that they were too afraid to share it, they were embarrassed, they were shameful, then we have to have these conversations where there is no blame and shame. This is where we are. And here's the reason why. I mean, I'm simplifying it, obviously. And to move forward, we can't change the past. So we have to address what we have right now. So come up with a plan to one, fix whatever the financial issue is, and two, fix the trust because that's the biggest thing that you're going to be building is that trust level. So it sounds like it comes down to just, I mean, you know, in any marriage or in any relationship, it's really about the communication. Right. And again, that clarity of it. Right. Making sure that the other person understands what you're saying and trying to relay. Because we all communicate. We all talk. Right. But that doesn't mean that we've actually gotten clarity. Exactly. And that's kind of an interesting thing because you were talking about, you know, the little white lie if you bought somebody something and they don't, you know, you don't want them to know about. Because I I hear a lot about people questioning, is it better as a couple for us to have separate finances or together finances? And if our finances are together, then how do we do anything for each other to surprise them or, you know, buy gifts for them and everything? What's your sense of that as far as having separate finances or together? Is that a personal choice? Is there one that's better than another? There isn't one better than the other with some caveats. So if you both decide to have separate accounts and no joint accounts, there has to be an understanding that you are open to having discussions about that money. So it's meant to be, look, I've been an independent person. I've been doing this for you know my own for so many years this is the way I want to do it. And the other person feels the same way. But as long as it's not secretive. So you want to be able to have separate accounts, but have the ability to share the information with each other. Now, what can a couple do if their financial values are different and they can't seem to get on the same page about them? 
So then you kind of break it down into what are the common grounds that you can agree on. So let's say, for example, one values family as the number one. And that partner believes that they should save for their children's college, help their parents out who are struggling. Whereas the other one says, hey, you know, our kids will take care of our kids, but parents are on their own. You know, they made their mess. And family is very valuable to that one person. How do you broker that? So perhaps it's something where you say, okay, we're not going to financially help them with groceries, but maybe we'll have them come over and have dinner once a week to relieve that burden a little bit. And then we can spend time together and keep those relationships solid. So sometimes you just have to take some small steps to work towards the bigger goal. And this is kind of where you come in in helping couples, right? If they can't uh, find these kinds of ideas to get on the same page, you can help them right. with that, right? Correct. You have a, a Yahoo Finance article where you shared some tips for avoiding money conflicts with your spouse. Can you share some of those? Certainly. And the number one thing is have conversations often. And make them in a time period where you set it ahead of time because you don't want somebody walking in the door and right away you blast them because they just bought X, Y, and Z or you know they just saw it on the credit card. You're not going to get anywhere with that. So set a time, you know, Sunday morning and you're having coffee and you sit and chat. I'm not a big one for dinner dates where you're having the conversation over wine because <laughs> you want to be as clear as possible when you're speaking. Right. Uh, if you haven't gotten that whole clarity, that's my main thing. Um, so, you know, grab a cup of tea, cup of coffee and sit and chat and really try and have any kind of conversations where it's not accusatory. So if there was an expense on the credit card, you may want to say something that, you know, we have this budget that we're working on and I know that X, Y, and Z was really going to make your business a little bit better. So I can understand why you charged it. Is there a way that we can have these conversations ahead of time? So I know what's being spent so that we don't bounce a check or something. So very calm, understand what the reason is that they're buying it, but not accusatory. There's a lot of people that are hesitant to go to any kind of therapy, sometimes because they're unsure if they really need to do something that they see as drastic. How does a person know when they need financial therapy, when this is something beyond what they are being able to work out amongst themselves? Have you ever seen those spinning cups or Ferris wheel going around and around and, you know, you're starting to get sick to your stomach because it's spinning so much? Yeah. When you've gotten to that point where you keep doing the same thing and now it's making you ill or in this case, giving you financial stress, that's usually the warning sign that says, okay, we need to try something different. And that's where the therapies come in. And I have to say the millennial generation is definitely one that is seeking therapies in more ways now to relieve their stresses, you know, whether it's life coaching aspect, financially, they're definitely the generation that's much more open to going to therapy. That's good. I mean, the more that you can be open to that kind of outside help, if that's what you need, you know, is great because you're talking about a relationship that you want to save. Yeah. Um, and the other thing is, you know, we talked about the marriages and a lot of the statistics that we see and the research and questionnaires is focused on marriages. And what we're not getting the information, generally speaking, is those that are in committed relationships 
that don't fall into that marriage category. So it's not where they're filed for divorce, but their relationships ended because of financial strife. Now, what about something as simple as budgeting? Because a lot of times, you know, when you have a household that prides itself on budgeting, you may have one person taking the lead in that. And the other person is either on board or they're not, or you have to work at that. But how do you really work together so that one person isn't having to shoulder the whole thing, number one, but also so that both parties are getting an equal say ahead of time in how the money is being managed. Right. So work with each other's strengths. So if somebody is really good at that long-term focus and seeing out in the future, maybe that's the person who takes on the investment accounts as opposed to maybe the day-to-day operations. So if you have your strengths that you're working on, it makes the workload a little bit easier if you're working on something that is congruent with you and, and you know not going against the current. That's number one. Two is you have these conversations and this is where those either weekly, biweekly, whatever works for your schedule, but making sure at least once a month that you are sitting down and going over the finances together so that each party knows where they are. So maybe they started with $4,000 in the bank at the beginning of the month and at the end of the month they're at 4,500, that 500 they want to say, okay, what can we do with it? So that it's joint in that aspect. And it doesn't have to be every day that you go over the expenses, but keeping each other in the loop and also so that the other person could step in if, God forbid, there was some kind of medical emergency. Absolutely. I mean, if one person's doing everything and the other person's kind of got their head in the clouds about it, yeah, that could be really bad if the other person is no longer able to make those decisions. Right. And again, that's also the conversation of being able to know where the access to the other accounts are. Again, you can have those separate accounts But you have to be able to share that information that in case of an emergency, you know, what are the passwords, how to get in, what comes out of those accounts. Now, here's another thing I was just thinking about, as well as married couples. Do you also counsel other people that are in relationships that need help with their money? Say, you know, there's a a lot of people have to at some point take over their parents' finances, and that can be a very hard conversation to have. Sometimes it isn't had, and then they end up kind of in a lurch having to figure it out after the fact. But if they're planning on having those conversations ahead of time, is that something that you tackle as well, like parents with their kids and working on those conversations? Yes. So my whole process, which is called SMART Chat, and SMART stands for saving money and relationships together. So it's the conversations where there are two or more people. So it could be business partners. Uh It could be married couples cohabitating. It could be college friends. I mean, that's one of the other thing is once you graduate from college and you've all been in this same economic status of struggling students, you know, eating pizza at midnight, And then you graduate and one person gets their six-figure job right away. Another one can't find employment. And yet they still want to do the same social activities together. How do you broker those relationships? So there are so many dynamics of the relationships with people and the financial aspect of it. So we work with anything that has to do with the relationships and money. Wow, that's fascinating. What a great thing, because you're right. I mean, there are so many other relationships beyond just significant others that could use that kind of help. That's fantastic. I, I never knew that those resources were available out there. So it's very comforting to know that that's available for pretty much anyone. 
I mean, college students, you definitely see some friendships breaking apart after that because of the, I don't want to say inequities because it isn't necessarily inequities, but there are different levels of, of where they are now working and income coming in and the ability to pay for the same lifestyle. Right. So we've covered so much today and about so many different kinds of relationships. Is there anything that you'd like to put forward that we haven't covered? Not as much not had covered, but really to emphasize, you know, I keep hitting home with the same thing, is the number one thing that I hope you take out of this is to seek clarity and to really make sure that you understand where the other person is coming from. A lot of times what I'll say to couples is, tell me what four plus five, 10 minus one, you know, what do they have in common? And the answer is nine. And the thing is, you want to come to the same answer, this being nine, but you approach it differently. So understand that there is not one way of doing things when it comes to doing money. There are many, many ways of doing it, but there are many ways that you can still come out to the same answer. That's so important and so great to know that somebody can work with you on that and give you ideas that you may not have thought about or are too stressed or angry at each other to think about or anything like that. That could be a very simple solution. Right. So how do people get in touch with you if they're in need of your services? So the best way is to reach out either through my website, which is my name, ClaireDubay.com, or my email, which is Claire at ClaireDubay.com. I'm on LinkedIn, same name, and Facebook as well, all social medias. <laughs> so you meet with people one-on-one. Do you also have classes or workshops or anything like that? Not for couples. One-on-one, I work with them. I do workshops with different companies for doing financial stress and relieving financial stress and how you can leave some work at home and make a happy life at home. Awesome. Okay. ClaireDubay.com. That's C-L-A-R-E for those of you who have different ways of spelling Claire. ClaireDubay.com. And we're also going to put a link to that on our website as well. Claire, thank you so much for being our guest professor today and sharing all of this fabulous information. Mike, thank you. There's a lot to get in on this thing because money's just such a hot topic. So <laughs> It really is. Thanks so much for your time. We really appreciate it. Today's guest professor has been Claire Dubay, financial therapist and founder of Smart Chats, a financial conversation process for saving money and relationships together. Visit her online at clairedubay.com. What a wealth of information from Claire and such an important topic. If you ever feel like you're having a hard time with money conversations in any of your relationships, I hope you'll consider talking to her about how to break that barrier. It's so important. If you value the green, if you save as you go, then wealth is closer than it seems, and you can make that cash flow. Welcome to Sensible Chat's newest segment, Saving Secrets. During each episode, you're going to hear a new savings tip from Sensible Bobby. Some of them are hers, some she's picked up from other sources. So if you've got a saving secret you'd like to share, email Bobby, B-O-B-B-I, at SensibleChat.com. That's Bobby at SensibleChat.com, and she'll share your tip in an upcoming episode. Here's today's saving secret. Today's saving secret has worked wonders for me. Are you ready for it? Budget high. Budget high on every bill or expense. This is such an easy tip and it's something that works on any income level because all of us have to pay our bills, right? Here's an example. 
My highest electric bill over the last year is $130, but it's certainly not that much every month. So I budget $130 each month for my electric bill. I know it's not going to be more than that, so I know I can always pay it. But when it comes in under that amount, I save the difference. Now, I've been doing this for the past seven months, and it's really surprising how much you can save just by this one little thing. Before I started doing this, I would just use that extra money for something else, like another dinner out. But when I intentionally move that money out of the bill or expense category into a savings category right away, it's done. I don't think about it as money that I can take for another dinner out, and it saved me a ton of money. And this is why I use YNAB, You Need a Budget, to track my spending. It's a constant visual that puts your good intentions into practice, and it only takes a minute. That's today's saving secret. If you've got one, email me, bobby, B-O-B-B-I, at sensiblechat.com. Before we wrap up this episode, I just want to quickly mention our new YouTube channel where we'll be posting Budget Bites. These are short videos that offer bite-sized tips to help keep you on track with budgeting, saving, and smart spending. The first, which is already posted, is on creating your holiday gift budget because we're less than six months away, if you can believe it. So if you haven't started saving yet and are having a hard time figuring out how much you need to save, this video is for you check out the Sensible Chat YouTube channel. And if you need help creating a budget, making a plan to get out of debt, saving money for Christmas or anything else, I can help. Check out the coaching page at sensiblechat.com for more information. Thanks for listening. And remember to leave a rating and review for this podcast. I would love to know what you think. Until next time, keep spending and saving the sensible way. That wraps up another episode of Sensible Chat with your host, Sensible Bobby. If you need help with your budget or want to share your thoughts, reach out to her through the contact page at sensiblechat.com. While you're there, subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Spotify, or Google Play.